Well, the uh, sermon text for this morning comes from Matthew 8. Oh, no. Sorry. That was already read. Uh, 2 Samuel 19. 2 Samuel 19, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 39. 8 through 39. We're either just listen or read along to this portion of God's Word. This is a 2 Samuel 19, uh, verse uh, 8b through, uh, through verse 39. Now Israel had fled, each to his tent. All the people were quarreling throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. However, Absalom, who we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? Then King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the word of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house? You are my brother. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? Say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? May God do so to me and more also, if you will not be commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. Thus he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, saying, Return, you and all your servants. The king then returned and came as far as the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal in order to meet the king, to bring the king across the Jordan. Then Shimei, the son of Girah, of the Benjamite, who was from Behurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, with Ziba, uh, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him. And they rushed to the Jordan before the king. Then the king, or excuse me, then they kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and to do what was good in his sight. And Shimei, the son of Girah, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So he said to the king, Let not my lord consider me guilty, nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my lord the king came out from Jerusalem, so that the king would take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come today, the first of all of the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord, the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said, Should not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? David then said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? Should any man be put to death in Israel today? For I do not know that, uh, I, 
For uh, do, not, do I not know that I am king over Israel today? The king said to Shimei, You shall not die. Thus the king swore to him. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So he answered, O my lord, the king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king, because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is right in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord the king. You, you, yet you set your, ta- your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided. You and Ziba shall divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim and went on to the Jordan with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Now Barzillai was very old, being 80 years old, and he had sustained the king when he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. The king said to Barzillai, You cross over with me, and I will sustain you in Jerusalem with me. But Barzillai came to the king, said to the king, How long have I yet to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem. Am I now 80 years I am now 80 years old. How can I distinguish between good and bad? Or can you can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Or can I hear any more the voice of singing men and women? Why then should your servant be added bur- uh, an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant would merely cross over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king compensate me with this reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. However, here is your servant Shimhim. Let him cross over with my lord the king and do for him what is good in your sight. The king answered, Shimhim shall cross over with me and I will do for him what is good in your sight and whatever you require of me I will do for you. All the people crossed over the Jordan, and the king crossed too. The king then kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his tent. As uh, as most of you know by now, I. uh, I've been a lifelong student of uh, of Abraham Lincoln, 
uh, since I was a kid, and, and I, I couldn't help when we went, got to this passage to think about uh, Lincoln, specifically uh, his policy of, of, uh, of reconciliation and reconstruction that uh, sadly was uh, not able to be put into action uh, because of his assassination. But uh, you may recall from school uh, his second inaugural address uh, where he, he uttered the famous uh, line, with malice toward none, with charity for all, as he spoke about how to heal the wounds of the war. And his policies, uh, as he had uh, laid them out before he, he died, were very conciliatory. And that's striking because it is easy to be vengeful and to seek retribution uh, to those who have uh, opposed you. And it is tempting to withhold forgiveness, uh, even as individuals, uh, to those who have hurt us. But in, in David's example in our text today, and certainly the greater example of God's forgiveness of us, uh, we are reminded uh, to seek reconciliation, uh, to grant forgiveness and to, uh, to seek uh, reconciliation in, in all kinds of difficulties when we have been sinned against because we are to be mindful of how the Lord God has forgiven us. And so we will see examples of this in, in David's life after the rebellion has, has been ended, uh, both broadly uh, to the people of Israel and specifically to individuals who come before him in this passage. Well, first, uh, the king's return in, in verse 8b through 15. Now, last week, we looked at 1819 through 198, and there we saw David receive news that his dearly loved son Absalom, who had led a rebellion against him and had uh, tried in that rebellion to, to kill him, had himself been killed. The man who delivered the news recognized that it was the Lord who brought the victory and who brought justice to bear on Absalom in his death. And yet David cared only about the loss of his son. He was inconsolable. And while his grief over his unbelieving son's death was certainly understandable, David neglected to thank those who risked their lives for him and he failed to recognize the Lord's hand at work in the victory. He showed love for the son who hated him, and he showed hatred for those who loved and helped him. His supporters were discouraged and ashamed and, and snuck back into the city. Joab confronted David on his failings as a leader. And said that he didn't thank his, if he didn't now thank his supporters and his army, his reinstated rule here would collapse even that very day. So David came to his senses and he sat at the gate and he thanked his supporters. In today's passage, we find David in need of bringing all the nation back together. Even though Absalom is dead and his army is defeated, that David needs to deal with the aftermath of a popular rebellion against him. We see that David refuses to be vengeful, but rather is merciful and forgiving and pursues a policy of reconciliation and forgiveness and blessing, uh, both in general and in specific to individuals 
who had rebelled. Now in all this, we'll see pictures of the merciful and gracious rule of Jesus Christ and how he extends forgiveness in the gospel. Now we begin with verses 8 through 15, which tell us of David's return from Mahanaim now that Absalom has been killed. Now the last portion of verse 8 tells us that David uh, gave thanks to his victorious army and his supporters, and Israel had fled each to his tent. Those who had supported Absalom in his failed rebellion uh, went home. But there is now, uh, uh, not surprisingly, an unsettledness in the nation. Lots of people had opposed David. So what is to be done with them? And how can, how can unity be reclaimed in the nation as a whole? Well, verses 9 and 10 tell us that there is quarreling among the people of Israel. They recognize David's greatness in a, as a king who in the past has, has protected them from various enemies, and especially the Philistines. But they also recognize that Absalom's rebellion had support and drove David out of the country as he retreated to east of the Jordan River. They anointed Absalom as king, but he is now dead. They recognize that they have done wrong. So the question remains, how do they bring back the king? And there is apparently here an internal debate about all of this. And debate about how to bring the king back. And a chastening of those who are silent and hesitating. But David deals with the awkwardness of this situation by sending a message to his home tribe of Judah uh, through the priests Zadok and Abiathar in verses 11 and 12. He appeals to their elders, asking them uh, not to lag behind in showing him support in his return. He, he would like them to lead the way back to a reconciliation. Now Judah, you'll recall, is the place where Absalom found early support and where his rebellion had begun. And that's where his anointing in Hebron took place in chapter 15. And so David deliberately appeals to them to show support, for this will be very influential and significant for the rest of the nation. If his own tribe does not support him, then it will be a very bad indicator. And the opposite of that is true. If they do come back and support him, then that can go a long way to leading the rest of the nation. So he says in verse 12, You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? He wants them to lead the way. So he appeals to the connections that go deeper than their recent disloyalty. They are brothers. They are family. So he wants them to support him. Then in verse 13, he appoints Amasa, uh, the man who led Absalom's rebel army to replace Joab as the head of his army. That's actually a very stunning move. That's very bold. But it is a, quite an example. The act shows that David will not treat the former rebels with animosity or with hatred, but he will be gracious and extend mercy to them. He's making the head of the uh, former rebel army, his lead general. And notice as well that in doing this, he demotes Joab. And no doubt this is punishment for Joab 
for his killing of Absalom against David's uh, orders uh, to spare his life. David's appeal and his actions are very persuasive to the men of Judah. We're told in verse 14 that David turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man. And they send word to the king saying, Return, you and all your servants. Verse 15 then adds that David and his men come as far as the Jordan River. And the people of Judah then prepare to receive him in Gilgal. Now that's an interesting choice. Uh, Gilgal no doubt is chosen for its historic significance. Back in Joshua 5, it was the place where Joshua led Israel to renew their covenant with the Lord after they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The new generation was circumcised and they crossed the, over the Jordan there. We read in Joshua 5, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to today, to this day. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover. A Gilgal means a rolling away place. And it recalls the Lord's forgiveness and, and mercy to his repentant people who turn from rebellion and back toward him. Our friend Gordon Ketty writes, Gilgal uh, symbolized God's free grace toward his people. Uh, David's return was to be a theological event attended by the, over, by the overtones of forgiveness of sin, reconciliation, and revival for the people of God. We are reminded here of the, the mercy and forgiveness offered in the gospel of grace. As David offered forgiveness and reconciliation to those who rebelled against him, we see a picture of the forgiveness and reconciliation the Lord God offers to us in David's greater son, the Messiah and King, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are all by nature and by actions rebels against the one true and triune God. Uh, we violate his laws and we go our own way. Romans 8 says that the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And all of us are by nature in that position. Ephesians 2 and 1, 2 verse 1 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We are all naturally rebels against God and against Jesus Christ, and we deserve condemnation. Yet in his kindness, the triune God has done what needed to be done to reconcile rebels such as us to himself. Jesus Christ is God the Son, who became also fully man to, to reconcile sinners to the Holy God by being our saving substitute. And he took all of the initiative in this. We're reminded in Romans 5 that God the Father sent God the Son to die for sinners who are still in rebellion with him, or against him, rather. Romans 5 says, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
There is nothing about us that deserves mercy. Yet while our hearts are still full of sin and rebellion, Jesus died for us. It is by God's grace alone that, that you are saved. If you have been convicted of your sins and trusted in, in Jesus' perfect life, His atoning death and His resurrection to reconcile you to God, it's because God did the saving work for you. And God drew you to Himself. And God worked in you by the Holy Spirit such that you were able to trust and repent. Of course, one must act on that offer of the Gospel. You must trust in in Jesus and embrace Him by faith and repentance. As we're reminded in Romans 4, righteousness will be credited to those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet that, that peace, that ability to to, uh, to be reconciled to God is totally by His grace as He reached out to us. And so we rejoice in the gift of salvation that has been given to us, in the Prince of Peace, of the King who made peace with us, our Lord Jesus Christ. So as David made peace with the rebels, so Jesus Christ has made peace with us. Now this plan for return and reconciliation in Gilgal also points us to the ongoing times of, of sinful rebellion that we sometimes have inside our saved lives, lived in fellowship with the Lord. Now we know that we sin daily in thought, in word, in deed, but we, we sometimes also have seasons of, of sinful indulgence. Each one we can think of as a mini-rebellion where we are defiant against the triune God, including our God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Roger Ellsworth writes, The truth is that we all, from time to time, become infatuated with some Absalom and recklessly pursue it without regard to God's will. And so we have a continuing need of the forgiveness of sins that is ours in Jesus. Yes, we are already forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future in our salvation in Jesus. And yet in that relationship with the Lord, there is to be daily evaluation of our life and behavior and conviction and confession of sin in receiving of the Lord's forgiveness by grace. We are to pursue times of confession when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit in our consciences of episodes and, and seasons of sin. We hate our sin by God's grace and are ashamed of our rebellious thoughts and words and deeds. And yet our King is kind and merciful and He forgives, having Himself paid the price for each one of our sins by His shed blood. And so we are encouraged to seek that forgiveness we're promised in 1 John 1, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, second, reconciliation and forgiveness in verses 16 through 40. Now, here we have a number of encounters that David has with several folk as he makes his way to Gilgal. In each of these, uh, we get a look of David's, uh, at David's merciful and gracious attitudes and actions toward many who have wronged him. And in all this, we'll, we'll get a picture of the mercy found in his greater son, Jesus Christ, and how we are to bring that to our relationship with others. And uh, we'll list these as A, B, and C. First, uh, or not first, A, uh, Shimei, uh, dealing with verses 16, then 18 through 23. Uh, we begin with, with David's encounter with uh, the man Shimei. Uh, verse 16 tells us that Shimei is the son of Gira, a Benjamite from the town of Beharim, who comes with other men of Judah to meet with King David. Uh, now, we previously met Shimei back in chapter 16. You may recall that he is the relative of King Saul, who mocked David and threw stones at him and his men as they escaped from Absalom's taking of Jerusalem. He mocked David for having to run away, and he cursed David relentlessly, calling him a man of bloodshed and accusing him of killing Saul's family. Now, while those charges were not accurate, David humbly accepted Shimei's abuse, for he knew that he had committed other sins, and that uh, he, he then embraced this humiliation as being sent by the Lord for his good. David refused to do anything to Shimei at that time, even though Abishai wanted to cut off the man's head. Well, now that Absalom's rebellion has failed, Shimei comes to ask for David's forgiveness. In verses 17 through 20, as David is about to cross the Jordan River, Shimei, along with a thousand men, including Ziba, uh, falls, Shimei falls, he comes there and Shimei falls to the ground before David, and he asks for forgiveness in, in verses 19 and 20. Notice there that he acknowledges wrong and, and confesses sin against David as the anointed king, and he humbly asks for forgiveness. His bringing of the 1,000 men with him and mentioning that he's the first of the house of Joseph to meet with the king emphasizes uh, what, what David uh, will do in, in, if he forgives him, that it will go a long way to bringing uh, peace with the rest of the former rebels. It's also quite possible that his bringing his force is a sign that if he doesn't forgive him, things will not go as well as he might hope because there are still people that oppose David that he could get to support another rebellion. Now the house of Joseph refers to Ephraim and Manasseh, the largest and most important tribes in the north, and apart from Judah, and that is apart from Judah in the south. In verse 21, Abishai quickly suggests, should not Shimei be put to death for this? because he cursed the Lord's anointed. Now, Abishai still wants to kill a Shimei. And Shimei confesses that it was sinful for him to curse David. Uh, Exodus 22 and 28 says, You shall not curse God, nor cur curse a ruler of your people. 
And so truly he is guilty of sin. But David's response in verses 22 and 23 is indeed one of mercy and forgiveness. In verse 22, David repeats the words that he said to Shimei back in chapter 16. A month earlier when he was cursing David, he says again, What have I to, to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? David continues to hold back judgment. David states that he will not put men to death over this, even though he has the power as king to do so. And he tells Shimei directly, you shall not die. Not only that, but David swears this to him by an oath before the Lord. Now, many years later, after David's death, we find in 1 Kings 2 that Shimei's repentance was not genuine, and he remained an untrustworthy man. Now, David's holding back of the death penalty we find there as well, was a delay during David's lifetime, not a permanent granting of amnesty from punishment. Shortly before he died, David charged his son Solomon that after his death, he was to execute Shimei for his rebellion. Sadly, the rest of Scripture tells us that Shimei's repentance is empty. And in that sense, he stands as an example of those who look the part and go along with the outward things of religion, but do not truly take it to heart and trust and repent before the Lord. There is a reminder here as well that the king, the, the ultimate king, the Lord Jesus Christ, can see right through such performances. As Jesus says in Matthew 7 and 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Uh, in those who, of those who truly repent and believe, there will be evidence of God's grace, evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, we will not be perfect, but he will make us different by his grace and power. Sadly, Shimei is all about outward show and no true repentance before the Lord and no heart obedience to God's law. And so uh, there is a reminder here that, that uh, we are not to play religious games, but rather we are to come to the Lord Jesus in genuine faith and repentance in salvation. Well, B, Ziba and Mephibosheth in verses 17 and then 24 through 30. In verse 17, we're told that among the men who approached David were Ziba, uh, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. Now, down in verses 24 through 30, we're also told that Mephibosheth, uh, Saul's disabled grandson, and Jonathan's son, approaches David as well. Now, you may recall from back in 2 Samuel 9 that David not only spared Mephibosheth's life, even though it was common practice in that day to kill any surviving heirs of a previous king, but he treated him like a son and, and had him eat regularly with his family. He also gave him all of Saul's land and offered Ziba and his sons to work the land for him. But in chapter 19, Ziba brought much-needed food to David and his men 
as they fled from Absalom. You may recall that he also uh, told David that Mephibosheth was supporting Absalom in hopes of having the kingdom of Saul restored to him. David then unwisely believed this lie and gave him all of Mephibosheth's land and his property. So here in our verses, Mephibosheth approaches David. Notice in verse 24 that Mephibosheth is physically a mess. His, his feet are unwashed. His, his beard is untrimmed. His clothes are unwashed because he has been in mourning since David had to flee Jerusalem. Clearly Mephibosheth sided with David and he has been in mourning and exile since then. In verse 25, David asks, why did you not go with me? Still believing Ziba's accusation that he supported Absalom's rebellion. And Mephibosheth replies in 26 through 28 that what Ziba told him was not true. Ziba told him he was going up with, uh, with David, and Mephibosheth wanted to go along, but due to his disability, he was unable to do so. But sadly, Ziba told David a lie about him to serve his own selfish purposes. So now Mephibosheth sets the story straight and, and pledges loyalty to David and calls him my Lord and, and adds, my Lord the King is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your sight. And make this right however you choose to do so. In verse 28, he recalls how David was so kind to him in the past, giving him back his family land, bringing him to his own dinner table. And so we ask for David to consider the situation as everything has been taken from him on account of Ziba's lie. But he adds, What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? He recognizes that all he had was a gift of mercy, and so he cannot object if it is taken away. In verse 29, David makes a judgment. He decides that the land will be equally divided between Mephibosheth and Ziba. Even though Ziba lied, David grants him half the land, and this is presumably to thank him for bringing him food and his to him and his men when they were in need and on the run. And he risked his life to do so. Then notice in verse 30 that Mephibosheth says to David, let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. He is thankful that David's rule has been reestablished and that David is safe. And so he would willingly surrender all of his property were David to rule that way. And so here is a man who is submissive to the anointed king and, and rejoicing in his rule. And in Ziba we have a man who has been forgiven of lying by the king. We'll see, uh, finally, Barzillai in verses 31 through 39. David meets here with Barzillai. Uh, you may recall from back in chapter 17 that he was one of the three men who generously and sacrificially supplied David and his army and his supporters with much-needed food when they uh, arrived at Mahanaim after fleeing from Jerusalem. We're told in verse 31 that he is a very old man at 80 years old, which in that day and age would have been very old indeed. 
And we're reminded of how he sustained the king while he was in, in uh, Mahanaim. And that he is a very great man. Which, uh, which can be taken as, uh, as a character judgment or the possibly that he had wealth. And certainly, whatever he had, he was not selfish with it, but he was generous and went out of his way to support David and his men. He had compassion on them. And even now, he comes to escort David to the Jordan and notice that he's not asking for anything. But in verse 33, King David seeks to reward this kind and generous supporter who helped him in time of need. David tells Barzillai to cross the Jordan with him and to come live under David's care in Jerusalem. Now this is a generous act. He's basically saying, I will be your patron. I will take care of you for the rest of your life. But the man replies in 34 through 37 that he's too old to go elsewhere. He wouldn't even enjoy the blessings that he would would have there of, of food and drink and entertainment before him because his taste is faded and he can't hear so well. His infirmities have, uh, have stolen uh, much of the joy that would come from being in Jerusalem. And he wouldn't want to be a burden. And so he adds that he really doesn't see a need of reward and he'd prefer to die in his own hometown. But he does offer his servant, who's, uh, who's often thought to, to be his son, uh, Chimham, as a substitute whom David can reward in his place. And so in verses 38 and 39, David accepts this offer and brings Chimham with him, pledging to do good to him and to provide for all of his needs. David then crosses over the Jordan with all of the people in his company, and he kisses Barzillai goodbye and blesses him, and the old man returns to his home. It's interesting to note that about 400 years later, uh, the prophet Jeremiah mentions in passing in Jeremiah 41 and 17 a place called uh, Gerush Chimhem, which is beside Bethlehem, showing that, uh, that David followed through. And in addition to whatever blessings Chimhem had in Jerusalem, uh, David also granted him land near his own hometown of Bethlehem. In David's rewarding of Barzillai, uh, we see a picture of the Lord's blessing of us in so many ways and his gracious promise of heavenly reward. Of course, salvation is by God's grace and gift alone, not at all by works. Yet in that free salvation, the Lord does take note of our faithful service to him in salvation. While we do all that we do out of love and thanksgiving for him, not to gain anything from him, He does take note, and Scripture promises heavenly reward. In the parable of the talents in in Matthew 25, Jesus speaks of the servants who did various things with the gifts their master had given them. And upon his return, he rewards them according to what they did with his gifts, saying to those who were faithful to different degrees, Well done, good and faithful servant. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now that and, and other scriptures uh, indicate that there are rewards 
in heaven for using God's gift well and to his glory. Richard Phillips comments, There are no deeds or riches we can offer to Jesus to purchase our way into heaven. Nonetheless, on the day of judgment, he will not fail to point out the daily small acts of devotion to him expressed in mercy to others, for which he is eager in his grace to grant us a superabounding reward. We should note as well David's forgiveness extended to Shimei, who cursed him, and Ziba, who lied to him. David reminds us that we are to be forgiving people as we think on how the Lord has forgiven us. David could look to his own life and how the Lord had forgiven his adultery and murder and all of the other sins that he had committed in his lifetime. He knew God's grace, and so he is here forgiving of others. As you and I are in Christ and have been forgiven of all of our sins by God's grace and and in the blood of Jesus, so we too are to be forgiving of those who sin against us. Ephesians 4.32 tells us, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. In today's passage, then, we see pictures of the merciful rule of King Jesus and the blessings we enjoy of belonging to him and knowing his grace and forgiveness. So let us rejoice in him and in his kindness to us, and let us be forgiving of those who sin against us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for this portion of your word and ask that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, we do uh, thank you for uh, the, the ways in which uh, you restored David uh, to the kingship from exile and how uh, by your grace you uh, created him a heart of forgiveness and reconciliation even to those who rebelled against him. And we thank you uh, for your grace to us and the forgiveness we have as former rebels against you and against uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have changed our hearts. You have uh, worked faith in us such that we have uh, we have repented of our rebellion and embraced Jesus Christ by faith and all that he has done to secure our forgiveness. And we thank you and praise you for that forgiveness that is ours. We pray that uh, we would be then forgiving of others who sin against us and that we would uh, ex give, be living examples of what it is to, to forgive sin and point others then to Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.